Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we do thank you for your word. And we ask now for your spirit's guidance as we both seek to understand your word. And I ask for your special unction of your spirit that I may preach your word faithfully. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, as I've been saying, when you, when you preach through 1 John, it's deceptively simple. And one of the things that he seems to do quite frequently is repeat himself in, in a revolving manner. And he gives us one of the tests, one of the marks of being a Christian. God does test us. And one of the true tests, and indeed the final test of our real status in Christ is shown by our love for fellow Christians. And John flat out says that here in chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It's a question mark. It's a rhetorical question. It's something that's supposed to be obvious to anyone who has uh, even an average level of understanding. As I think I mentioned last week with my parched and uh, shredded throat, notice that it says, says I love God and hates his brother. It's easy to say something. I love you. Anybody can say it. You could even teach uh, a child to say it and they don't even know what I means, they don't know what love means, and they don't know what you means. It's just syllables, they're just sounds. Now, hating your brother, however, is an action. So what John is doing is he is contrasting um, what we call, what I call easy words with despicable actions. It's very easy to say, I love you. Now, think of um, the public leader of your choice at any era. It doesn't matter. And they say lots of things during the campaign trail. They do. This is what I think. And then surprise, 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 they get into office and... Well, read my list. No new taxes. Well, I have to change my mind on that. We need money, so we're going to have taxes. It's easy to say something. It's harder to do things. And what John is saying here is very simple. Actions speak louder than vain words. It's important for Christians to tell each other that they love each other. But if we love each, say we love each other, and we at the same time speak evil of each other behind one another's backs, we say that we love the lost, we're concerned with those who are lost, but we don't raise a finger to help them. If we say that we love and are concerned with the poor who are less providentially blessed than us, and we do not lift a finger to help them, then our words are just that syllables that go out into the air and they will rebound on the day of judgment they will rebound and boomerang upon us and the Lord will remind us you said this don't you remember in case you forgot I haven't but you did these things hating your brother is not the mark of a Christian And by the way, it bears mentioning that when the Bible uses the term brother or the term man, it's using it in a general sense. Sisters are included in that as well, okay? We all got that? Sisters are included as well. You are not allowed to hate your fellow Christians. It is against the law of God. If you hate your fellow Christians, 
That is a pure sign that you are not a Christian in the real sense of the term. You are a Christian in name only. And listen to me carefully. There are millions of people on this earth who are Christians in name only. They have a false assurance of their faith. They are deceived. And they are deceived by false prophets and pulpits who say that this behavior is okay, that behavior is okay, God will accept you and love you just as you are. No! God will love you and accept you despite who you are. The whole message of the cross is that we are very unlovely. Each of us, no matter how sanctified we are in our Christian walk, we are all very unlovely unless the blood of Christ has covered us. Left to our own devices, none of us has any idea what we would actually be capable of. Some of us might have an idea, but even our expectations fall very short of the dastardly things that we could do, say, or think if the Spirit of God were not present in our lives. If you're making progress in your Christian faith, do not rest upon that progress. Rest upon the fact that Christ is enabling you to make that progress. And then continue to look towards him so that you can make further progress. And that further progress is shown repeatedly in acts of kindness and love. If they are absent from our lives, we had do well to look in the mirror and ask, am I really saved? Now, are any of us ever going to love perfectly? No. That's why we need to confess our sins. The Bible tells us to be perfect as God is perfect. And the Bible tells us to confess our sins. It seems as if we have two contradictory propositions there. Not in reality. If we're commanded to be perfect and we fail short of that, then we should thank God that he will accept our confession of sin. Because if God commands something and we fail to meet that standard, well, then we're in trouble. Again, we round circle and we find ourselves where? At the foot of Calvary. There he is, the Son of God. He did love his people. He laid his life down for the sheep. He didn't just say it. He actually showed it. And when we confess our sins of not loving our brothers and sisters properly, we're banking on the blood of Christ, literally. That's what being a Christian is. I'm not sounding vulgar here, but you place all of your bets on Christ. You do not bet on yourself. You know that's an analogy, right? I'm not approving of gambling here, even penny poker. Jesus is the winner when it comes to obeying God's law. We lost. If you confessed your sins, you're forgiven. But if you've confessed your sins properly, then that means you're admitting that you didn't cross the finish line. You fell down somewhere. You ran off into the grandstand and went running through the streets like a, like a, like a crazy thoroughbred, causing all kinds of damage. You're a bull that jumped out onto the horse track and decided to run around, run around, making all kinds of mayhem and mischief. Christ crossed the finish line. 
Who do you want to rely upon? Your track record or his? Those are the choices. I advise you to rely upon his. If you have relied upon Jesus, if you've received him by faith, continue to hold on to that. Continue to thank him. And continue to express your love to others with the realization that they will never die. Their body will wither. Their body will perish. Their spirit will never listen carefully. Every human being that you have ever seen, their spirit will never go out of existence. Everyone's body will be resurrected on the final day and be refitted, as it were, for their eternal homes. One home of joy and one a home of torment, away from the comfortable presence of God. Every human being you encounter is created in the image of God and will one day give an account for what he or she has done while here in the body. Do you realize how deadly serious this really is? And when we think about that and we focus upon our activities and thoughts of the last week, we realize that we, in very real sense, are babies with power tools. Do not put power tools in the hands of babies. It's just silly, dangerous, and dumb. We have fire in our hands, the gospel. We have riches at our disposal, the gospel. And we hoard it and we keep it to ourselves. And frankly, we should be ashamed of that. We should be ashamed. Shame is an undervalued emotion in our day. If you've been given this great gift and you misuse it, then A, you should be ashamed, and B, you should be thankful for Jesus Christ and you can confess your sins on his behalf. We've been given so much. Are we liars or are we true to our confession, our profession? This commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now I touched on this a little bit last week. And if you look at verse 3 in uh, chapter 5, they, they correspond. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And also with verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now that's, as I said last week, that strikes us as odd at first. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. It seems like the order is reversed, but it's really not. As I said last week, but I will repeat now with a clearer voice. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. And I'd like you to think about his commandments for a moment, particularly with regard to your fellow human beings. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. That's, do we understand that? That means, we'll just start with commandment number five. Honor thy father and thy mother. I'm not doing that because I'm a father. Okay? I'm actually going to go a little deeper here. Honor thy father and thy mother is talking about all authority including your boss. If you love God and you want to keep this commandment, you will put in eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. You will not 
work six hours and expect eight hours you'll not slough off on the job if you are the boss your part of this commandment is this you do not require your employees to pay eight hours and then you cheat them and only pay them six hours that's against that particular commandment you see by loving God you keep that commandment and by keeping that commandment you express your love to your fellow human beings and you do the right thing now on to the more commonplace explanation of that commandment the basic level yes if you're a Christian child and you say that I love God then you will honor my father and thy mother you cannot live in a state children are you listening you may not live in a state of consistent disrespect and say I love you mom I love you dad now this is where we parents can use this particular commandment to our benefit. I know what you're thinking. Oh, we can use it as a sledgehammer. No, we can use it as a scalpel. To show our children, hey, you know, you've been disrespecting me for the last few hours. You're aware of that, right? I guess so. There's no guessing about it. Here's the evidence. By the way, you know that that's a violation of the fifth commandment. Yes. What are we going to do about that? Now the child will then say, I guess I'll make it up to you. Uh, wrong answer. I'll try and do better tomorrow. Uh, wrong answer. Maybe I should go to my room and confess my sins and rely upon the grace of God to get me over this. Bingo. You see, we can teach our covenant children the love, beauty, and grace of the cross by pointing out to them their sins not to put them down but to make them at an early age understand that they are saved by grace through faith and that no matter how nice of a little boy or nice of a little girl they are and no matter how sweet of a man or sweet of a lady they grow up to be they will be sinners who need God's grace covenant children need to hear that and the first place they hear it is in a covenant home now those of us who are parents our part of that commandment is if we say we love God we will indeed be honorable parents which means we love our children which means we give them good food we provide them food, clothing and shelter and we do give them godly discipline we give them fence restraints contrary to modern thinking it's not loving to let children do whatever they want they grow up and we have a word for it spoiled brats who are lazy that's what happens when you don't give children restraints there are some people who, who train dogs and try to train cats more systematically than they try to train their children the scriptures give us that command train up a child in the way he should go and when he grows older he will not fall from it that's our responsibility Yes, I see the fear in all your parents' eyes. Trust me, I understand. I understand all too well. If you love God and you will keep His commandment, you will not be a man-stealer. You will not kidnap. If you love God and keep His commandments, you will not be a man-stealer and buy goods that were made basically by slaves. You won't do that. 
If you love God and keep His commandments, you will not be a man stealer. You will not steal your neighbor's husband. You will not steal your neighbor's wife. You will not cheat on your wife. You will not cheat on your husband. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. Not in a single thought. If you love God and keep His commandments, you won't steal. You won't steal. If you steal from someone, that's pretty much an act of hatred. If you steal them and hurt them physically during the robbery, that's clearly an act of hatred. This idea of hate crimes is ridiculous. All crimes are hate crimes. You stole my car. That's a hate crime. You hated me. What am I going to do tomorrow? Call a bus? There's no buses where I live. You hate me. You stole my car. You broke my windows. You egged my house. You hated me. Forget about the thought police. You stole my wife. You hated me. You stole my husband. You hated me. You hurt my children. You hated me. If you love God and obey His commandments, you won't lie about people. Ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false testimony against thy neighbor. Obviously, that's talking about perjury in court, right? And perjury in the Old Testament was a very serious business. The background of the Ninth Commandment is terrifying. If you were called to bear testimony in a capital case, hey, did you know that uh, Jack and Jill over there have idols in their, in their tent? Really? Hmm. Did you see them? I sure did. Okay, is there another witness? Oh, I'll be the second witness. I saw them too. Well, guess what happens to Jack and Jill in the Old Covenant? They get stoned to death. You're not allowed to worship false gods in the Old Covenant. You're not allowed in the New Covenant either, but Jesus Christ died for us so that we don't have to get stoned by the people of God. Now, if you were caught lying in the capital case in the Old Covenant, guess what your punishment was? You didn't pay a fine to the state and then go to jail for for a year or two. You received the punishment that you lied about. So if you said, yes, I saw them commit that capital case and you got caught lying, guess what? Now you're in the electric chair and we're going to stone you. It's a very um, strong hold upon people for their lying. Oh, so imagine if we did that. Okay, you're going to lie about someone's financial tra- transactions in court. And they're going to, and the, if the, the civil fine is, well, let's just say a million dollars and ten years in prison. Arbitrary figures. And you get caught lying in that case, well, guess what? Here's what we're going to do for you now, Slick. You're going to jail for ten years. And when you come out, you're going to owe us a million dollars. You see, it's a strong deterrent against lying when you realize that if I lie about this and I get caught, I'm going to have to pay that full penalty. You see, you love God, you keep His commandments, and when you keep His commandments, surprise, 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 you do less harm to your fellow citizens on accident. Take any commandment. Take the first one. If you love God, you will worship Him and worship Him alone, just like we said we were going to do in that first hymn, right? We said it. Did you sing that hymn? Even if you were lip-syncing, I heard you. I can hear you when you're lip-syncing. My noodle. If you love God and keep His commandments, you will not worship idols. I'm not talking about statues of stone and stubble. I'm talking about the gods of our age. 
sex, money, and entertainment. We won't chase after those things in front of our children. We won't chase after those things in front of our fellow believers. We won't be a stumbling block to those. Do you know how many lives of Christian children are ruined over those three things? Well, Dad says he loves God, but boy, when it comes time for this, this, or that, he's mistakenly, he's conspicuously absent here. He's failed. There's evidence. For a long time, church demographers have been saying, you know what? Um, these covenant children are going to secular colleges and, and leaving. They're coming home pagans. What we're finding now, after a generation or so of this alleged thing happening, is something more scary. Because now people are starting to interview those who have actually left the church and said, you know what, I didn't leave in college. I started checking out in middle school. I started checking out. You know, people are saying that. I left, yeah, I didn't leave when I was 19 or 20. I started checking out when I was 12. I know someone who did that. Not in this church, but I know someone who did that. I was shocked when I found out about it. Just absolutely shocked. So when did this start to happen? About 13 or 14. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Why don't you ask a question? But I had it figured out. Still does. We, who are adults, have got to be able to show the faith and explain the faith rationally to our children, or they will check out. Because the Christian faith does bear up under scrutiny. We have the answers. If people ask the question, we must, it is our responsibility to be able to give the answer. That is showing love. If we don't know the answer, then we don't lie and make it up. We say, you know what, that's a good question. I don't know. I will either find out for you or I will point you in the direction of someone who does. We need to do that. We need to put guards up around our children. And we do that by safeguarding our own lives. Because, like the old saying says, more is caught than is taught. We learn by example. We watch people. And we say, well, I'm going to do what he does, or I'm going to do what she does when we're kids. And we do what he or she does, and it turns out to be the wrong move. Have you ever gotten bad advice from somebody? I've gotten some insane advice in my life. Crazy advice. I won't even mention what some of the advice was. Particularly with regards to relationships. Ladies, men get all kinds of psychotic advice on relationships. You cannot imagine what is put into a man's mind when he's younger. I'll give you an example. When I was in seventh grade, my first girlfriend broke up with me. I cannot remember what color her eyes were. But I was destroyed when it happened. And my football coach, who some of you, I've used him on a couple of occasions, who probably shouldn't have been football coach of 7th and 8th grade boys, said, here's the way you had to do it, champ. If you treat them like garbage, they will love you. They'll love you? Well, that got my ear. He says, yeah. I says, what do you mean? He says, you can't let them know you like them. Really? But you're married. He says, I have to yell at her word for word. I yell at her at least once a week just to keep her in line. Treat her like garbage and they'll love you. And when you're seventh grade and you don't have a father, you think, 
All right, well, it's working for him. Guess what? It's a lie. If you treat someone like garbage, they don't love you. If they do, they're mentally unstable. And I don't want to fall in love with someone who's mentally unstable. I like being around sane people. I help people who are insane, but I don't want to have a lot of personal interaction with them. What he told me, he's a baptized Catholic. The exact opposite of what this passage is saying. To love people, not treat them like garbage. We have to run all of the information that we get as adults and as children through the filter of the gospel and we will realize that the vast majority of it is going right out the window into the garbage heap. Children, I can honestly tell you that the vast majority of moral advice and adults you listen to, the vast majority of moral advice that you will get outside of a God-fearing, Bible-believing church, will be wrong information. And if you base your moral choices upon that wrong information, you will do damage to your soul. You will do damage to your soul. We worry about people who hurt their bodies intentionally. How much more should we worry about people who do damage to their souls intentionally? We try to care for people who harm themselves unintentionally. How much more then should we be concerned about those who we see are damaging their souls unintentionally? And in love, tell them, listen, I see you going down this road and I have a feeling that you're going to hit a concrete wall at the end. They may not like you for doing it, but when they hit that concrete wall, they will come back and say, you know, I should have listened to you. And then we have another test. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah of Genesis 3.15, the promised Messiah of all the Old Covenant, that person is born of God. You're born again. That's what it takes. You remember Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, surely, surely, I tell you, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the king. You can't see the kingdom of God, much less walk into it. You're born physically by your mother. You need to be. You need to be spiritually rebirthed by the Holy Spirit. And everyone who loves Him who begot the Father loves Him who is begotten of Him, the Son. There are many people out there who say, "I love God. I believe in God." As Jesus fell, I don't want anything to do with him. Mm, wrong answer. Uh-uh. Can't do that. That's like saying I'm going to walk outside in the rain and not get wet. That's a statement of insanity. You cannot say you love the Father without acknowledging the Son, because the Son said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Is Jesus a liar? Even people who don't think he's God don't want to call him a liar. Those who don't think he's God, you have to point out to them, at least be honest with yourself and say you think he's a lying nut. Because he said things like this. And what we have to understand is this faith that has been given to us, it overcomes the world. He who overcomes the world 
Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The world cannot hurt us. Kids, please listen to me. I've given you a lot of advice today. You don't have to be afraid of the world. You need to be cautious with the world. And by the world, I'm not talking about buildings. Okay? Buildings can fall and hurt you, but I'm talking about systems of belief. Systems of thinking that are ungodly. That's what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about the world. It's not talking about the pagan temples. It's talking about the desire in the mind and heart to build the pagan temple. You don't have to fear the world. You don't have to run around like Chicken Little, Mom and Dad, saying, screaming, the, world's, the, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Guess what? It's always been like that. Our generation is not unique. We're a strange generation. We actually think that we're the first in human history who have dealt with these things. We're not. We just have electricity. That's the only difference. All of these problems are from, not from day one, but from the, from the moment Adam chomped down those grapes or whatever they were. Those problems all happened. And the attack that will come, listen to me carefully, will always be against the Word of God. Any temptation you will receive can be whittled down, can be burned down, can be distilled to one thing. Has God really said? Did He really say, Thou shalt not commit adultery? Did He really say, Thou shalt not steal? Did He really say, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Did He really say, Honor your father and mother. Yes, indeed, he has. Do you have faith? Then you have a guarantee that you will overcome the world. If you do not have faith, then the opposite guarantee is yours as well. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for our faith. And we ask you for the grace to continue to grow therein. Amen.